Our next sermon in our series through book three of the Psalms, we find ourselves at Psalm 81. If you're using the Black Pew Bibles, Psalm 81 can be found on page 460. And then when I'm referring to Psalm 81, that'll be the large, bold print numbers. And then throughout, we will refer to various verse numbers as well. Those are the small little numbers next to the sentences. I'm going to read the passage in a minute, but I think to set the stage as it relates to what we hope will be accomplished from Psalm 81, uh, I, want to, I want to give you three specific tangible examples for you. Uh, first, giving money to a charity, to a church. The Bible instructs you to give cheerfully. David even just said this a, f- a few seconds ago. Uh, we should not be giving money under compulsion out of just mere duty. God loves a cheerful giver. Example number one. Example number two. We've been singing songs. We've already sang three of them. And the Bible instructs us, specifically here in Psalm 81, but this is not unique, to sing cheerfully and joyfully to the Lord in in worship and praise. Example number three. God's word is given to us as a gift. The fact that God has spoken that it has been recorded, that we have the ability to study it now. We have this tremendous privilege of having the scriptures. And as Christians, one of our response, if we want to be faithful in being a Christian, it would be to regularly intake the Bible, coming to church right now, opening the Bible, following along, paying attention to what I'm teaching you in God's word, listening when we get up and read the two scripture readings and then go home and then read and reread and study and take in and memorize the scriptures. Those are my three examples. G- giving cheerfully, singing joyfully, and hungering for the word of God. Each of them could be understood in just sheer physical act of obedience. You could give but not cheerfully. You could sing but not joyfully. And you could take in the Bible, but not wholeheartedly or sincerely. In in one ear, out the other sort of thing. Whereas the specific instruction for us is that as we receive the Bible, we would be hearers and then doers. We would be receivers and recipients, not just of things to know, but of new hearts that are transformed by Scripture. So here's the dilemma. What do you do? If today you put the check in the offering plate and you weren't really happy about it, or let's back up a few hours ago, you were contemplating, should I give to Embassy Church as an act of corporate worship in this Sunday gathering? And you thought, well, I'm supposed to give cheerfully according to the Bible. So since that's sin and I don't really want to give, I just won't give at all. Perhaps you're sitting and people around you are singing. Some people raise their hands. Some people are swaying. Some people seem like they're into it. And you're looking around and you're like, that's not me. And since my heart's not in it, I'm just not going to sing. And then others of us will say, you know, I'm just not interested in reading the Bible tomorrow morning when I wake up. I don't want us to start my day with hearing from God. Um, 
just no appetite for it. I should be hungering. I'm not hungering. If I just do it out of mere duty, then that's not really obeying God, so I might as well just not do it at all. Do you all get the dilemma? Those are my specific examples. My hope is that Psalm 81 will be used as instruction to teach you how to worship wholeheartedly with your body and your soul. Let's read the psalm together. To the choir master, according to the, grit, um, the gittith of Asaph, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress, you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. And this ends our reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And my prayer is that you would hear it and do it. Amen. Here's what I believe in one sentence Psalm 81 is teaching us. Psalm 81 teaches us how God's people ought to respond to God in wholehearted worship, and it teaches us how God responds to his people, and the two are related. I'll say this again. There's two simple outlines to this message. It's two parts, and so our one-sentence summary is this psalm exists to teach us how God's people ought to respond to God in wholehearted worship and how God responds to his people and the two are related. How God responds to his people should fuel our obedience to respond to him in worship and vice versa. Let's, let's just think through these uh, one at a time. How, how should God's people respond to God? And the, the short answer, as the sermon title says, this is a song about wholehearted worship. So that's the simple answer. If you want a little bit more, I would like to summarize it in three ways. 
Wholehearted worship will be holistic with your heart, your hands, and your ears. First, your heart. Notice the command. Not the suggestion, not the description, but the command. Sing out loud. Sing loudly to God. And do this with joy and shouts for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. First, notice the heart. There's, there's a heart posture. There's affections, emotions, feelings that are being commanded. And if any of you have never thought about this, today would be a good day to start. It's not the only example. I, I gave others at the start of the message. God expects your heart, your feelings, your affections to be toward him. But if you ponder long enough, I've mentioned this in previous teachings, but it's, it's right here in our text. Be happy. What if you're sad? What if you're lacking joy and you're filled with sorrow? Might, might we want to also, for the sake of context, situate Psalm 81 in light of what seems to be surrounded historically because of this being a psalm of Asaph in the collection of psalms of Asaph? What, what's Asaph and his friends, his family? What, what are they like right now? Depressed? Might be a fair description. Struggling? Questioning? Doubting? Be happy then. Shout for joy. Do you see why I said there might be Sundays where you come and you're being told, stand, sing, so that way your diaphragm can be fully filled with air blowing out with praise to our glorious God. And you're like, I'm just glad I'm here today. I almost didn't come today. I feel like I'd be faking it if I just start singing with a happy smile on my face. And some of you, maybe that's actually what you're doing, faking it. But others of you, you're like, I'm too authentic. I can't fake it. But notice the tension here. Even if you just look over to Psalm 81, uh, to Psalm 80, look at verse 4. Oh, Lord. God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You have made us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. There are historical and real reasons to suggest that Psalm 81 is during a feast day and during this particular year, things are not well. It's like Christmas is around the corner and everybody's talking about tis the season for joy and you are filled with sorrow. The basic observation is that God still commands his people through Asaph, shout for joy. Make the observation. I hope that this tension that you're feeling will be resolved. But for now, second observation for how God's people should respond. First is their heart. Second is their hands. They should use their hands. They should use their physical body. They should do something. Specifically, singing is something that should be done. Perhaps you might want to put, if you're a note taker, hands slash mouth. 
They're going to do something with their hands and with their mouth. Some of them are going to use their hands to play instruments, the tambourine. Some of them are going to play what would be kind of like an acoustic guitar or the harp. Some of them are going to use their hands and blow a trumpet because it's time for the new moon festival, the full moon. It's a feast day. And then they're going to use their hands to eat. They're going to prepare food. They're going to set aside their calendars, and they're actually going to put themselves into a ritual of something that should be done with their physical bodies. Not just the heart, but also with their hands. And so I want you to just make that basic observation. How should God's people respond, even in times of ruin, toward God? And the answer is wholehearted, full-embodied worship. Driven by, hopefully, a joy-filled heart in obedience to whatever God's specific commands are. Look specifically, verses 4 and 5. Why should you do this? Because it's a rule. It's a statute. It's a decree. This is what you're supposed to do. So do it. And do it with joy. Observation number three. So heart, hands, thirdly. All of this should be driven by the ear. How should God's people respond to God, even in times of ruin, with open ears that are ready to listen to his word? If there was one simple takeaway as it relates to the response of God's people from Psalm 81, this one should be the one that's underlined, underscored, bold print. This is the most repeated theme of Psalm 81. Listen. Oh, people, if you would just listen here. In fact, do that now. Let me read to you where the quotation starts. So look carefully at even your, your pew Bible, your, your ESV Bible. Verse 6 is in quote marks. And here Asaph is speaking on behalf of God. God's speaking to his people. And he is giving them a response to all the questions they've been asking. How long? What's going on, God? Where have you been? And here's his answer. And listen to God's answer and how often he mentions listening. Verse 6. I relieved your shoulder of the burden, your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I'd satisfy you. I believe the tensions resolved when first you open your ear in humility and say, God, I don't know what's best. I need to humbly listen to your word, your commands, your ways. This is precisely what he said they did not do. 
Notice, they did not listen to my voice, so he gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. They leaned upon their own understanding. Step one. I know it's not in the order of Psalm 81, but pastorally, step one is listen. A posture of listening, a practice of listening, without God's word saturating your soul, your heart will never be able to produce the joy that's being commanded here. The good news is that by listening, and this listening being not just about hearing words like I'm talking, but hearing commandments and instructions and then obeying. The simple example would be this. If I tell my child to do anything, hey, kids, uh, you were playing outside and you left a bunch of toys outside, so please go clean up the outside and bring them back into the garage. They said, okay, daddy, I heard you. And then it's the end of the day and I look out and it's time to go to bed and all the toys are still outside. And what do I say? Even in English, what do I say? You didn't listen to me. Dad, I I sure did. I heard every single word. In fact, I can repeat it back to you. You said to go outside the house, pick up all of the toys and bring them back into the garage. And I say, oh, thanks. Go to bed. Good job. Thank you for listening. All of you should know what I mean. That's precisely this Hebrew word, shema. Listen as in obey. Listen for the sake of obedience. Parents, you know exactly what this is like. God, the heavenly father, is speaking to his children. And he's saying, if only you would listen to me. If you would listen in a posture of, I want to obey. I trust you more than I trust my own deceitful heart. This is step One, without this, everything else that we've talked about in regards to our response to God will fall apart. It's the foundation. So start with the ear and listen to God's word. Listen to it with all of your heart. And practically, ask yourself this week, as you're being reminded in this sermon, who else are you listening to? What other authorities that are not the scriptures? Are you interested to give your ear and your heart to? Have you ever stiff-armed the Bible because you heard there was a new study that was out and the experts have now weighed in and said, only to correct what previous experts had said that people were listening to. Just this week I was reading a a book and it was talking about how the expert medical professionals believed that your heart problems were related to the flow of blood in your body and there, there would be practices like bleeding people out to help remove the chronic depression that they were experiencing. This is called Galeanism if you want to just Google search it someday and read about it and know that like there was a time when people thought that that's what you should do practically with your body in response to the experts in the field. Well, have you ever heard experts in the field say one thing and then weeks later, months later, years later, decades later? Well, we weren't quite right. Now we need to revise. Brothers and sisters, I am not telling you to turn off your ears to every single thing that's not in the Bible. I'm asking you to supremely, preeminently, wholeheartedly make the word of God the authority 
for your obedience and the direction for what from your ears you do with your hands. Without this as a basic discipline for how we think about the world and our life around us, it is a guarantee without a doubt that you will experience heartache. So then, start with listening with your ears and then obeying with your hands. But, but what if my heart's not fully in it? Listen and obey and keep doing it and pray that through this process, you will trust that God would bring the heart around. I call this the heart-hand cycle. Because you've heard the supreme standard from God's word, you then obey with your hands, and then it can start up your heart to have warm affections for it. So, practically, very personally, I was a new Christian growing up in church, I did not like music. I did not listen to music. My entire childhood, I did not own a single album CD. That was back when we had CDs. And I didn't care for any type of music. I had to do a band thing, and I didn't like that. I just wanted to go play outside and play sports. I was not a musical guy. And those of you that sit close enough and hear me sing, you'll be like, you're still not. But when I was a a teenage boy, I think truly born again, Believing in the Lord Jesus for all my sins and, and, and salvation, sins taken away, salvation. I didn't sing. Like, this is boring. I don't like this. Church is boring. So I just didn't do it. And here, today, I was singing, and I'm telling you, I was I was genuinely, sincerely joyful. I loved the songs we sang today. I love the songs we're gonna sing. I sing in the house. I don't care if you hear me and I don't sound good. I want to sing. How, how did that happen? You think it's just like one day? Oh, my heart just changed. One day I woke up and I thought, I want to sing. No, that's not what happened. I heard, I obeyed, and then through the process of doing that for years, I finally have come to love singing. The same thing is true with giving of your time, your money, and clearing out your calendar and your schedule. Do you realize when he mentions here feast day, this is either a week-long Passover celebration or a week-long temple tabernacle celebration. This is called the Feast of Booths. Parents, check this out. God says in the book of Leviticus, there will be on a new moon festival and after the blowing of a trumpet, a feast where you're going to leave your house, you're going to set up a tent and you're going to live for a week in a tent so that you can teach your children that there was a time when we lived in tents in the wilderness. Just do it. I don't really feel like it. I don't like camping. That's for the campers. No, just do it. Because in the doing... There is something about telling the kids the story where they'd be like, okay, cool. So you're saying grandma and grandpa walked around in a wilderness for 40 years, but now we're in this wonderful land flowing with milk and honey and that they had a really hard time. Okay, back to my day. But what if there was this ritual, this action, this thing that you did that by doing it over and over again every year, every week, it then created a love and affection for the heart where you started to realize, oh, so this was like this for not just a week after day three, you're on hump day, and you're like, when do we get to go back home, mom and dad? 
You know all the complaining and chirping that was just read about in Exodus 17? Parents, you can imagine. That was kind of the point, though. It was to teach them about God's provision in the middle of the wilderness. He brought bread from heaven. He brought water from a rock. When our psalm is referring to the fact that God will feed you, open your mouth, he's going to feed you. That's what this feast day was all about. So feast in the middle of the tent. There's actually something that you can do. And I don't think it's until you do the obedience of saying, first, I open my ear. I then obey with my hands and sometimes my mouth, singing, eating, feasting. This is what produces joy in the heart. And if any of you are thinking, you're just hoping for that one sermon, that one counseling session with an elder or pastor, and then there's just like a one prayer, like boom, it stops. You're more than likely going to be disappointed. And oftentimes that disappointment is because of unrealistic, unbiblical expectations. So I'd like to set the stage for us that this is not just Psalm 81. It is. This is the basic response of God's people from Old to New Testament and in all over the Bible. We hear God's word. We supremely submit ourselves, as the text says in verse 11, they did not do. They did not submit to me. So we submit ourselves to God. God, you are the the knower of all. You have supreme, infinite knowledge. Who am I to think and talk back that I know better for myself? This feels awkward. I don't like doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to pray that through this process of faithful obedience, my heart has joy. And that's precisely why some of you are here today and why your singing is not insincere. And you will have, if you're faithful to this basic instruction, moments where there is ruin everywhere and God's word's going to call you back to worship. I lost my job. I lost my job. I don't even have very much money to give. I kind of feel like I should hold on to all that I have. There might be unique circumstances. Hopefully you get my point. There are times where it's difficult to give money. There might be times where it's difficult to even sing the words. There's times where it's going to be difficult to even muster up the strength and the courage to get up and open your Bible. God will feel that so distant and far off. I know. Many of you know. But the solution will not be to just then say, well, let's just not do it all together. The ordinary basic means of obedience to God's word should be like your basic bread and butter of what you do every day. Did you brush your teeth this morning before you came? Did you just get in the habit? This is what I do. The Christian life can have that kind of simplistic ritual, not because ritual is what it's all about. I'm I'm, I'm aiming for you what I think Psalm 81 is aiming for you. Joy-filled peace and contentment and satisfaction even in the midst of a broken and fallen world. And I know that's what all of you want. I know it from talking to you. That's what we want. How do we get it? Listen, obey, and repeat. Listen, obey, and repeat with a posture of God. I wait for your timing in terms of my heart. But I know that if I don't listen and obey and repeat, my heart is not going to all of a sudden wake up one day and say, oh, I love the Bible today. It's just not going to happen. Point two. How does God respond to his people? Why should you respond to God even in the midst of great ruin and tragedy and difficulty and just continue to trust him? Because notice, 
Step one of listening and obeying will not work if you don't trust God in the first place. So the whole rest of this sermon is just to provide for you encouragements, reminders, pointing you to the text and say, because he's like this, you can trust him. Listen to him because look what he's like. That's the rest of the sermon. If you're willing to listen to that for the rest of the sermon, then open wide your ear so that your heart might be affected and your affections be warmed to the glory of our God. First, how does God respond to his people? Remember that they're asking a question. I'm pointed to you to Psalm 80, verse 4. Oh, Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Let's just take that one question. How long? I'd like an answer, God. Psalm 81, I think, is telling us, I'm listening and I got an answer. How long? Well, he speaks, and notice specifically he speaks in verse 14. I'll do it soon. You don't have to wait that long. Soon is the answer. Observation number one, how does God respond to his people? He speaks to them. The God of the Bible is not a piece of wood. He is not something we can make with our own hands or fashion. He is a person. We don't just want doctrines to believe. We want a person to put our trust in. Parents, is your primary discipleship objective to create articulate theologians or heartfelt worshipers? I pray that you will both model and teach your kids that we have a God and he is a God who speaks, which is what the entire verse 6 to arguably 14 to 16 is about. God's response is his speech to them. And his speech is filled with love and passion and joy. It reveals his heart. But just make this basic observation. We can sing to the Lord with joy because of the sweetness and the goodness of the words that he speaks over his people. Notice that he begins his speech with gospel, with salvation. Verse 6. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. I saved you. Your burden, if you read Exodus chapter 1, they were weighed down with a heavy burden as slaves in Egypt. That's what he's referring to in verse 6. I saved you from that. I rescued you, which he makes explicit in verse 10. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Brother or sister, do you understand that God's speech has commandments for you to obey, but it is more important for you to hear his speech of him saying good news to you. Do you understand that? If you only come to God's word for instructions for how to do certain things in your life, all right, I need an answer. It's the Bible answer book. That will be insufficient to warm the heart. We must listen to his voice in order to hear his speech of good saving grace, even in spite of your rebellion and your sin, and your stubborn hearts. He still pursues them and wants to speak to them. That's what the whole psalm is. Secondly, he has a mouth that speaks. He has ears that hear. Look at verse 7. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Just, just verse 7 tells us he, he's listening 
We know from both Exodus chapters 1 and 2 that they're crying out. And I can only imagine the horrific sound of these cries of people that have been enslaved by a tyrannical ruler without a break, with getting whipped on their back, seeing their children ripped from their family, thrown into the water, and killed right in front of their eyes. Could you imagine the cries, mothers? Could you imagine? Don't read this story just as a historical fact. Read it as a human and experience the emotion of what it would be like to cry out in the devastation of that kind of slavery. And this Bible tells us God hears those cries. He does. He answers you in the secret place of thunder, which is a reference to Exodus chapters 19, 20, and 21, the thunder at Mount Sinai. But more specifically, he then jumps back to Exodus 17, and David got up and read for us. David, you read Exodus 17 because of this. This is the reason we had that Old Testament scripture reading. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Do, do you remember what David just read? They were delivered out of slavery. They just saw water get parted. They then crossed through and then the water collapsed on the Egyptian soldiers that were chasing them down. They were near death experience. Any of you ever experienced near death? And you're like, praise God, that was a close one. And then they start celebrating. Exodus 15. We love God. He's so great. We're so excited. They're shouting. They're singing. They're excited. Then, just a couple days later, they're in the wilderness and they're thirsty. And they're like, huh, Moses, can you go talk to that God of yours and tell him that we're thirsty? What, did you just bring us out here to die of thirst? He even hears complaining people. That's what he's saying. I answered you when you cried out in the beginning of Exodus. I answered you when you cried out in the middle of Exodus. I listen. You should trust this God. He wants to speak to you and he wants to speak tender, heartfelt words to you and he listens when your heart is broken. Do you know that about him? Do you believe that? Is this a story you tell yourself when you're thinking, should I go to church? I don't know, God's just going to strike me down with more commandments to do. I've got to go and sing. Where's your primary motivation for weekly worship? I want to hear the gospel. I want to hear and I want to pray and I want to have confidence that I have a God who listens to my cries. Third, he has a mouth that speaks. He has an ear that hears. He has a hand that protects and provides Literally, verse 14 uses the word hand. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. He's ready to use his strong arm and protect his people from their enemies if they would only listen. If they would, his strong right arm will bring that protection that they're crying out for. And he will overabundantly provide with generous grace. Look at verse 10. Open wide your mouth and I'll fill it and then match that with the very last verse. Oh, he would just want to feed you with the fat wheat. That's the literal translation of the first half of verse 16. Fat wheat. Wheat's not fat, by the way, in case of you aren't familiar. This is, this is poetry. The finest of wheat. The fat of the wheat. The very best. He doesn't hold back. The God of the Bible, who you would put your trust in and submit yourself to and say, I want to listen to this person more so than my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother. Now, 
assuming like they're not Christians or something, you know? More than trusting a human and their worldly counsel, more than books and education and universities, I want to trust this God with my life. Why? Because he wants to protect and he wants to generously provide for you the fat wheat. And then not just water out of the rock. Notice the way he ends with honey's going to flow out of this rock. By the way, one way to just make sense of Psalm 81, because it is all over the place, is like Asaph's just ripping stuff from the cupboards and throws it in the blender and mixes it up. And it's like, oh, this is a good smoothie. That's, that's Psalm 81. It is Old Testament quotations and references left and right. And you will appreciate how rich and nutritious this smoothie is. There's a, there's a few moments where it's like, oh, he threw, snuck a little kale in there. Oh, okay. That, it, it's, it's, it's dense, is my point. So I want you to trust that God speaks, that he listens, that he does something for you. He protects and he provides. But more than anything, I hope that through seeing his speech, through seeing his ear turned towards you, and seeing his hand provide and protect you, that you will walk away trusting his heart. Psalms 73 to 83 are all psalms of Asaph. Just look around in your Bible. You'll see a psalm of Asaph, a psalm of Asaph, a psalm of Asaph. It's one of the most densely concentrated series of laments. This whole collection. And they're God laments. Meaning they're not just laments about specific circumstances. Oh, I'm really kind of bummed out. There was this thing that happened. A God lament is specific to I'm upset with God. God's response to God's people is that he is lamenting their stubborn hearts and their unwillingness to listen to him. His heart is breaking in this psalm. Read through it slowly, carefully, and with not a cynical heart or eye, but with a heart that's actually wanting to get to know the God of the Bible. And I think you'll see that he is so heartbroken. Verse 8. Here, people, I want to admonish you. If, if you would just listen to me, you're not even going to hear what I'm going to have to say. In fact, I think that's why it says at the end of verse 5, I hear a language I had not known. This is a difficult verse to translate, but my best guess is that it's saying, the words I'm about to say are going to sound like a foreign language that you don't even understand because you've been so consumed with other forms of content that you've been downloading into your ears that this is going to sound ridiculous to you. You could imagine somebody that's just filling themselves with TikTok videos and it's like, hey, how about the Bible? Huh? It's like a foreign, foreign idea. Here, O oh people, if you would just listen, there should be no strange gods among you. That's a quotation from Ten Commandments. You should not bow down to a foreign god. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth. I just want to fill it. I want this feast day to be filled with celebration, but you didn't listen in the past. You didn't submit to me. So I just gave you over. This is what you wanted. I want you, I want you alone, exclusively. I don't want you off to other foreign gods. I want your heart, because my heart is beating for you. So he gave them over to their stubborn hearts, and they just followed their own ways. And then look at verse 13. This is, I think, the crux of it. Oh, that the people... If they would just listen and follow and walk in my ways. Then I'll bring my hand and I'll protect them from their enemies. 
But at the end of the day, if you're going to hate me, you don't want anything to do with me, then that will be your forever fate. But any of you that would choose to repent of your sin, turn to me, put your life wholeheartedly in my hands, I am going to feed you with the finest of the wheat. And I will give you the honey from a rock because I want to satisfy you. That's his heart. And if any of you have been around the Bible, you'll know that this is an accurate depiction of what God is like. From every page that you turn. His heart beats for people, even sinful people that don't want him. He still wants to choose to run after them until eventually they just say, I don't want you. And he says, fine. I'll give you over to your heart's desires. But know that I want you. Know that my heart beats for you. If you have any doubts that Psalm 81 is an accurate depiction of what God is like, I turn your attention to the God who has become flesh in the person of Christ in the stories of the Gospels. And I ask you, is Psalm 81's depiction of God accurately portrayed in the person of Jesus Christ? Have you listened to Jesus' mouth? Do you sit at his feet as a disciple and say, teach me, teach me how to live in this world as a human? Do you remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you're a wise man, you'll build your house on the rock, but if you're a foolish man, you'll build it on the sand. And then he explains, it's whoever hears my words and does them, they're the wise man. That's, that's the kind of speech he says. That's how he used his mouth when he was representing what God is like. The full embodied expression of God in Psalm 81 is expressed in the speech of Jesus. Do you remember when people asked him, hey, Jesus, hey, your family members, mom, your brothers, cousins, they want, they want to get to hang out with you. You're, you're kind of busy, but can, can you come over? And he says, listen to this. My brothers are those who hear my word and do it. Does that sound like Psalm 81? Does that sound like the God who says, would you just listen to me? And not just the listening that's in one ear and out the other, the kind of listening that says, my whole life is in your hands. I'm going to obey. Have you ever seen Jesus turn his ear to someone who cries out? He cut his stiffed arm, mom, Mary. <laughs> like, hey, I'll make time for them when I have time. But who does he all of a sudden turn his ear to and say, you've got my full attention? Women who are bleeding and can't stop. Poor beggars that nobody cares about. Lepers that have been ostracized from the community. Look at his listening to the oppressed and the broken. Look at the way he said, I didn't come for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. If you find yourself in this world broken, sinful, dirty, ostracized, feeling like God would never want me, you have got God wrong. Jesus has told us definitively, this God, the God of the Bible, Old and New Testament, is a God who turns his ear to those who think that no one would ever care about them. This is precisely what Jesus did, again and again and again. He turned his ear to the Jew and the Gentile. The only people that it seemed like he didn't really want to engage that many conversations with are those that were hard-hearted, stubborn, just like Psalm 81. 
How about his hands? Did he provide a wide banquet feast when they were in the middle of the wilderness and people were thirsty and hungry, taking loaves of fishes, loaves and fishes, multiplying them one after another, satisfying their needs? Oh, if you would open your mouth. The God of Psalm 81 became a human and he fed a feast in the wilderness because he is the bread of life. He is the living water. Oh, if we would just receive his abundant provision for us. But I give you this as a concluding thought. Would you look at his hands? The hands that have those nail prints in them when Thomas was doubting. Are you, are you really the one true God? Can I really put my whole life in your hands? He says, put your fingers in the nail prints. That's what I'm asking you to do too. You can put your life in his hands because his hands bled for you. His hands died for you. You can obey him because he gave everything. He didn't hold anything back. He wants to give you the very best he gave himself. So look at his hands and see his heart. There have been many times where you're trying to trace God. What are you doing? I say, hold his hand. You'll find his heart. The same God who lamented, and cried out over Jerusalem, became a human and said, oh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Can you just imagine him on that mountain before he's about to go up and actually give his hands and his life over to death? He is weeping, literally weeping, lamenting. Oh, if you would just listen, Jerusalem. When God becomes human, his mouth, his ears, his hands, and his heart verify that the God of Psalm 81 is worthy of you giving wholehearted devotion to. So I suggest that you listen with all of your heart and you obey even when it doesn't make sense because he knows better than you. Should I trust him? Your heart. It'll change when you see his heart for you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh, what joy it is for us to pray. Even if we're struggling now to have an immediate response to the sermon with joy, even if that's some of us in this room, I just want to thank you for their obedience to gather for worship today. I want to thank you, God, that you have, for whatever reason, kept them here to hear that you love them. And I pray that they would be faithful to obey you. I pray that if there's anyone here that does not trust you, they've never turned from their sins. They're much like the people that are described in Psalm 81, stubborn in their hearts, doubting, questioning whether or not you're actually a good God, whether you're worthy of our allegiance. I pray that they would see Christ they would see him in all of his beauty and splendor and glory, and they would be melted in their hearts to see how foolish it is to live one more day on this earth without wholehearted obedience to Christ. 
Oh God, would you do that work in their hearts? I can't change anyone's hearts, but we do believe that as we accurately unfold your word, we pray that your word would come into their hearts and lead them to obedience and faith and trust. So Lord, as we turn ourselves now in this worship service to the eating of the bread and the cup, oh, may we feast with joy. Help us if we're struggling to remember the amazing sacrifice of Christ on the cross and how glorious this good news is. Help us now for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.